0: Welcome to the He Shoots, He Draws podcast, the show about photography and design, with your host, Dave Clayton.
1: Hello and welcome back to He Shoots, He Draws, and this week I've got a guest whose voice you've heard every single week on the podcast, and you haven't got sick of it because you keep coming back. I've got Mr David McClelland, the voice of He Shoots, He Draws introduction. So thank you for joining us David.
0: Thank you very much indeed for having me Dave Clayton. It's it's good to it's good to hear from you. It's it's good to see you on this uh, little camera back channel we've got. It's been uh, unfortunately a little bit longer than normal since I last saw you because of things that have transpired over the last few months.
1: Yeah, when you think we were probably 2 days away from having our annual meet at the photography mm-hmm. show and then this happened. <laughs> And uh, and subsequently, a lot more events have gone and, and we've started to see the rollout of, of the effects of it. And, uh, and that's kind of why I wanted to chat to you to, today on the podcast because I think of all the guests we've had, every time we talk about technology, you're the person who springs to mind in those kinds of situations. So if we're talking about the best apps to get, the best software to use, the best way to do something uh, in a broadcasting world you always spring to mind. And and, and part, of, part of that is, you know, you, we did a podcast interview with you, cool, two years ago, that was now, at the photography show a couple of years ago, and we talked about apps and everything. So I thought it was time to have you back
0: Aww.
1: and talk, talk a bit more about you, because last time we were sat on a bed and we were talking about iPhone apps and everything. So just to quickly give our listeners a sort of overview of who you are, how have you ended up in this career if that's not too broad a question who are you that's That's a massive question and and
0: who am i i'm asking myself that all the time
1: (laughs) um no just like obviously tech is is something for you that's that's led you down that path
0: I think I think I'm a product of my generation in many ways, and I was born in the mid '70s. And when I was growing up in the early '80s, there was Star Wars and Back to the Future and Total Recall and and science fiction. As an impressionable young lad, uh, that that that's what I watched. That's what I that's what I drank up. Um, so I guess. Yeah, the, the environment around me and my friends, that that was very much what we did. But also at that time, in the early 80s, there was this home computer revolution. It was the first 8-bit computers and computers stopped being something that you just saw in research places or in universities or in schools. And these were the first generation, really, of useful computers at home. And the story goes something like this. Um my parents were, went on a date night, something that they very, very rarely did. And they went to see a film in 1982, I think it was, um, with Matthew Broderick and Ali Sheedy and this film was yeah. called war games war games war games now this film was very prescient it turns out and it was also a product of its era in as much as it was a kind of cold war um americans russians computers could change the world kind of thing uh very successful film uh i think it's due a remake around about now as well but my parents came oh, away okay. from that um really scared first of all because you know it, it didn't necessarily present a a rosy vision of what was next um and my parents blessed them it was coming up to my seventh birthday it must have been and they said right okay here's the thing these computer things they're really scary but they are going to be part of our future you know we've seen the programs on the bbc we've seen them elsewhere We need our son to be as across this as possible so that he's on the winning side of this war rather than the losing side. So we didn't have very much money when I was young. My parents bought me a computer. They bought me a Acorn Electron, which was like the baby brother of the BBC Micro that was in pretty much every primary school and most secondary schools in the UK at the time. And uh, the link to the BBC was that it, Acorn was this company from Cambridge, along with, with the likes of Sinclair and, and Commodore, who were building out home computers, the BBC wanted to create this computer literacy program and they kind of i don't know if they sponsored i don't i think it was a bit more than sponsorship but they backed this little company acorn to make this BBC microcomputer that had all of 32k and uh, <laughs> eight colors 16 but eight of them flashed and um yeah so my parents got me that now again go back to the time People were scared of computers in the same way that people are worried about the impacts of social media and video games on children now. Back then, it was kids will sit in front of the TV and get square eyes. They won't go outside and do exercise. My parents said, no, 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 no. When he's bored, he'll go outside and play. Now, that computer changed my life. Um, my parents, bless them, they could have bought me a guitar or a, um, I think it must have been uh Skeletor's Castle that I really, <laughs> really wanted for my seventh birthday. But no, they spent uh, hundreds of pounds and paid it off over years, you know, a few pounds a week. Wow, yeah. Um, to, like, to get me. A yeah. a i Yeah, actually, I, yeah, I think it was some HP deal from Dixon's or yeah. Curry's or something. Um, the other thing was, so uh, great, I've got a computer in my home. Yeah, so what? There's no World Wide Web. There's no internet. Shops aren't really selling computers, aren't really selling computer games. I learnt from a magazine. There was BBC Micro user, Acorn user, Electron user, whatever else. And at the back of those magazines, I don't know if anyone listening remembers these. Sometimes you would get a cassette on the front because back in those days there were, you know, there was no floppy disk. Well, actually, there were floppy disks just, but there were certainly no USB sticks. You had to load it up on an audio cassette like a C15 or a C90. Or if you were cheap and didn't get the version of the magazine that had the cassettes or the disks on it, then you had to type in the programs yourself and at the back of the magazine depending on the magazine there were like yellow pages or green pages and there were pages and pages and pages of bbc basic or um, machine code assembly language and by typing in those programs i learned to code i learned to debug when i spent a day two days typing something in and it was rubbish as let's face it most games back then (laughs) were i would then change it and make it Better, in inverted commas. There was me, there was my next-door neighbour, there was Robbie, a couple of doors up, there was Ben, who lived on the other side of the park. We all were the same age. We all got different computers... Next door neighbor got a uh, Sinclair Spectrum. I think Ben had a Commodore 64. Uh, James had an Amstrad CPC 464. We all had computers at the same age. We were all so excited by them. And we all, because there weren't really games for us to buy, we made our own. That there was how I became um, comfortable with technology. And I maintain, you know, people call me an expert in tech now. Um, I guess it depends upon your audience as to how much of an expert I am. But if there's one thing that I definitely am, it's it's comfortable with technology. Yeah, I feel as though I uh, I'm on its side, or I feel as though I know where it's coming from. So I don't feel overawed with a new technical concept or with with a new piece of tech. I I automatically feel as though I know where that's coming from, and that has stayed with me throughout.
1: Because that is tech technology, especially now. When you think back to when you had your computer and you were hand coding and you were using the cassette, it you had a day to do that. You had a week to, yeah. to to test it. You had we we had time. We had loads and loads of time. And then all of a sudden, that curve, as the years have gone by, as technology now, it's just I mean, like just going up so fast. That you can understand why people are scared of technology, but I totally understand why you're saying you're comfortable with technology because you've evolved with it. It's grown up as you've grown up. It's become, you know, part of your job. It's it's enabled you to do a job, and I think that's where nowadays it's harder. I mean, you give a you give any computer to a kid, like you with that seven year old, they they will complete. A, I remember when I, I've still got my first Game Boy and I had Super Mario Land on it, I could never complete it. I met Andrea, she had her two sons. I said, oh, I've got a Game Boy. And they were like, oh, have you? Can we play with it? I gave me it. I said, I've only got Super Mario Land and a couple of others. They completed it. Mm. They'd never played with it. They completed it. Children just have a way of kind of finding how it works for them.
0: And I, th- I mean, I remember I would take apart everything. And I think I was probably a little bit too... Over comfortable with technology, because whatever toy I got for the next ten years until well probably still now, to be honest with you, I will take it apart just to see how it works, and I'll put it back together again and always have a few screws left over um but <laughs> <laughs> but i I think come back to your point about about kids picking things up um I think there's a journey of parenthood there I've got a ten and a seven year old and It was always, oh yeah, daddy will show you how it's done on Mario Kart, don't you worry. Not anymore, oh my word. So there's a lot of pride swallowing as my kids now beat me on video games that I used to be the (laughs) master of. And I don't know whether that's because I've slowed down a little bit, there's probably a bit of that if I'm honest, or just because that's how they've grown up and they're Uh, synapses and whatever other connections in their brain are just programmed in that way from a much earlier age and I think you know you're right it was because I got au fay and comfortable with technology from such an early age when i had time to take it apart when i had time just to fiddle around with it and to and feel at ease with it if i was to be presented with the same bit of technology right now from a standing start i wouldn't have the time to be as familiar with it as as i am and i think that's that, that's one of the challenges yeah. now with, with, with any new technologies
1: and they pack everything into, like, you can get them, you know, in 20 years, the new iMac will be in a pen. It's just, it's so compact, you can't take it apart anymore. It's just like, there's no wasted space. Whereas we had those big plastic boxes and CRT monitors and yes. things as big as your house. It's fun. It It was just... And you could modify them
0: stuff. yourself. You know, I remember taking yeah. apart my Akon Electron and th- th- there was a brake key right in the top right-hand corner. If you pressed break, it would basically reset the machine. But it was also close to some other really important keys. And if you're in the middle of a game, if you were just about to uh, dock in a space station in Elite and you accidentally press the brake key, then game over. No. Oh. So I I took I took my electron apart. I put a little flip switch in there so I could turn off the brake. He got my soldering iron out. I I was that kid who was always kind of trying to do a project and Not all of them were successful, and yes, I did electrocute myself a number of times. My favourite was when I made a doorbell for my bedroom. I must have been 10 or 11, (laughs) and I had a record player. You see, I, I was fiddling with stuff that really I didn't understand, and I knew that 230 volts was probably quite a lot, but I didn't necessarily understand until I pressed the, the doorbell. of 230 yeah, yeah. Exactly, and it did. It threw me across the landing, it really did. But I had a record player, and I think I, I just uh, maybe took a spur off of the mains plug to this bus. I, I had a toy bus, and when you pressed it down, it went beep, beep, and I thought, okay, I can use that as my switch for my doorbell. So s- somehow I did that, and I had a record player with a Star Wars theme tune. It was a 33, uh, and it took a little while, so I, I kind of pressed the bus down, and I go didn't work very well as a doorbell and then I, I think I tried to take away the bus and just have the contact there that's when I got through across the landing and it happened another time as well so you know I'm still alive probably with with slightly frazzled fingers still if I'm honest or certainly my hair's a bit frazzled now but I think that's the lack of hairdressers over the last few months um yeah same here
1: yeah that just so that just sounds like the outtakes of Ferris Bueller where he's got his bedroom set up with everything and rolls over and yeah there was a lot of practice went into that so how did that technology affect your education then because obviously you started at seven years old was that something that like you pursued through education well it's it's,
0: yeah it's funny because on the one hand that That whole thing in the early 80s and the BBC Computer Literacy Programme and lots of kids getting computers without there being very much to do on them apart from programming. I maintain that that's one of the reasons why the UK was very much at the forefront of the World Wide Web, you know, in the early 90s and up until Mm. early 2000s. There were a lot of programmers from the UK because we'd been brought up on that. It was an incredibly forward thinking programme looking back on it now. Um in terms of my education by the time I got to my secondary school things had changed a little bit and we fell into the a bit of a rut in the UK where you didn't learn how to program you learnt how to use a spreadsheet or how to use a word processor and there was very very little programming indeed which uh, yeah I I, I I think of it in the same way, uh, again, as my eldest daughter's going through now. She's such a creative spirit. She loves writing stories. I know that as soon as she goes to secondary school, all of that creative writing's going to disappear and it's all going to be comprehension, which is important. But I feel it's such a shame that we lose the art of storytelling a little bit when we get to secondary school and have to be big rabbit's ears here, grown up and preparing ourselves for future work. But anyway, yeah. that's, that's another... Uh, another topic. So um, I did find um, I was able to do some programming when I did A-level computer science. Only reason I did A-level computer science was because I wasn't allowed to do art and computer science at the same time for my A-levels. They were scheduled at the same time. I actually chose art and then had the most brilliant summer holiday after my GCSEs. And uh, I didn't do the homework, and so I got back to school on the first day of my of my lower sixth form, and my art teacher, Miss Q, mind bless her, this lovely Liverpudlian lady, wanted to know where the where the prep where, where the preparation work that I should have done over the summer was, and I I chickened out, and I said, you know what? Actually, I changed my mind, and I want to do computer science instead. Oh. <laughs> um true story true story um again my life probably would have gone in a bit of a different direction had that been the case but i wanted to try and bring technology and art into the same space i wanted to find how technology how um how art could be created algorithmically how you know uh, computer-aided design would be used. probably a lot of the tools that we use now back in the early 90s or so you know would have been pretty nascent but that was the area that i wanted to explore but my school wasn't able to support me so i ended up going down the computer route the, the, the that technology route there learned to program a little bit more but i wouldn't say it was a foundation for a career and i remember very very arrogantly on probably on the last day of my uh time at school saying thank you very much for the you know to my computer master thank you very much for all of that but um yeah i don't know that i'm really going to use it now because i've got other <laughs> career plans because i got into drama school i was going to run away to the theater by this point you know uh, so um little did i know little did i know that the technology um the flashing blue light of technology would still be illuminated. Here we are, whatever it is, 25, 26 years later.
1: Yeah. That fascinates me because I know when I was at school, the most technological thing we had was the language lab mm. and and we'd, we would just sit in a cubicle we put headphones on we'd have to listen to french you know and and we had to repeat into the microphone and the teacher would sit at the front just pressing a button randomly listening so we used to play swear <laughs> uh swear dare so you had to you had to at least say a swear word and hope that she never hit the button when <laughs> you were <laughs> And you always knew because she'd look up. <laughs> but, you know, that and VH, you know, VHS. So, for me, you know, I was born in 65. So, I left school in 82 at 16 and went straight into an engineering job. Um, I was an arty person, but I didn't have that technology. So, I think it is funny when we look at Adobe now. Um, mm-hmm. And they've had their 30 years in, in the sunshine where now art and technology do go hand in hand. Yeah. You know, all the d- devices are created for creativity. I mean, my, my daughter, like you said, you've got two daughters, I've got 10 and 12. Uh, I watch them play Minecraft and that is so artistic. They, the things they can build on it. I'm teaching Flo Illustrator. She, they've adapted to that technology. It's great. And now I know without going too far off the beaten path of, of technology there, you mentioned you went to drama school
0: yeah yeah true story so
1: yeah so obviously your presenting skills your comfortableness on camera um that's come from that drama background and you just naturally came back into that technology world I guess because of, of your I mean I know I know the answer to this um, question because well, we've spoken about it before
0: yeah. but... um well so okay so to fill in the gaps and I'm, I'm very happy to talk about it there's, there's nothing to hide so um, I yes I, I actually went to a university drama course sort of uh, didn't like it um, left after my first year ended up working for a year so this is 1996 and I'm living in London at the time living in East London this magnificent place Docklands uh, canary wharf was was growing um i would i was taking a year out to aud- audition for drama schools uh living uh, literally living on a, on a couch uh in mile end and um i got a job i got a temping job at a company called reuters who had a big technical center just overlooking what what is now the Millennium Dome, or not not the Millennium Dome, the the, the O2. Mm. Um, And all of a sudden, I was kind of thrust into this corporate world that I'd never really experienced before. But again, kind of bringing some of my technology skills, I felt comfortable with it. And, you know, I was recruited basically as a, as an admin assistant on a temporary contract. And by the end of the nine months or so that I was there, I was, you know, doing code. I was, you know, uh, being a sysadmin on various systems on what turned out to be a p- pretty landmark um, bit of technology oh, sorry. that. Oh, sorry, Siri, I, I don't care if you don't understand <laughs> technology. eh? You have it.
1: I'm leaving that in that is just perfect.
0: Siri's <laughs> a little bit too ego. Um so yeah, I was I was I was working in technology in this in this enforced gap year or self enforced gap year, uh for a a big company and having a really, really good time doing it. And I remember I was auditioning for, for various drama schools, got into one that I really wanted to go to, but the fees for for this um acting degree were ex- extraordinary and there was no funding you know this was at a time when there were, if you went to university and did a an english degree or law degree or whatever you would get a, a mandatory grant for acting for any kind of practical stuff like that no you're on your own sunshine cough up 20 grand otherwise you ain't doing it and it's like whoa that was a lot of money back in the in the mid 90s yeah. by this point so um i remember i had a really tough decision to make do I stay at Reuters and they, they'd offered me a permy job or do I go and try and make this acting thing work without really much of a clue how I'm going to get through the three years? I went with the latter, but thankfully um, Reuters kept me on and I stayed on, not on an official kind of graduate training thing or anything like that, but I had some people who liked me um, and took me under their wings so that every summer holiday winter holiday and easter holiday i would be back earning a decent wage doing stuff on different projects in different areas of reuters technology operation which was financially a godsend and it kept both sides of my brain ticking over very very nicely so while on the one hand i was doing shows shouting shakespeare in fields and whatever else um for the three years i was i was at gilford school of acting as it was um I, during my Christmas holiday, I was writing Visual Basic programs to do something or rather whatever it was. Um, that was great. When I when I was ready to leave drama school, I had about fifteen grand's worth of debt. Even if my first job out of drama school had have been you know a decent equity minimum wage, I would have had more money going out than I had coming in. <laughs> so I needed I needed a high. Uh, a high yield intervention. Uh, I got a job at IBM. You know, <laughs> you know, when many universities, drama schools, whatever, talk about destinations of their graduates. I think I'm the first ever graduate of Guildford School of Acting whose first job was to go and work for IBM. Um, <laughs> so I, I I moved out of Guildford. I moved down to Portsmouth to the IBM headquarters, um, and I worked there in the end for a couple of years until I'd a paid off enough money. B kind of pulled myself together because you know there, there were a few crossroads moments i'm not gonna lie and then yeah. uh, c auditioned for jobs and i got a job that took me touring around the country um shouting yet more shakespeare uh in some amazing theaters and my girlfriend at the time who i've met at Guildford, was also touring around doing a different show we were we were living living the life at that point um so what that really kicked off was this sparring this intermingling for the next eight years or so of i would do an it contract and then I would go and do pantomime for six weeks in Scunthorpe <laughs> or Sheringham or Manchester or whatever. And then I would go and uh, tour with some Shakespeare or do a musical in Dubai or whatever. And then I would come back and I would implement a disaster recovery system for uh, f- for a financial institution. It was great. And at my, at my peak, I was working back at Reuters on contract during the day and I was working in the West End doing eight shows a week, uh, Thursday matinee and... Um, Uh, saturday two shows yeah it was exhausting but i kind of loved it you know it was living the dream i was fueling both sides of my brain and um yeah it was great
1: yeah because if you'd never done that and and that was something that was inside you i mean that we speak to so many people who don't kind of follow their calling or at least don't fall into the groove that they seem most comfortable with i mean having seen you On television on the tv shows i think whenever i speak to people who and i say to them wow you're so good on camera most of the time they say oh i went to drama school there just seems to be something that you've obviously you've obviously got in you that definitely comes out in your presentation skills and you, you i mean everyone i've seen you interview you make them feel so comfortable it it seems like a genuine conversation so you've even if you're acting as david the presenter I think that definitely that acting background definitely comes through with you, so and and it's paid off.
0: So so here's the thing: Um, I don't act, and I I think that if one of the things, there's a lot of stories about drama schools, um, and you know particularly if particularly among people who want to go to drama school, who are auditioning for drama schools, you know, that you're told to go into the audition and they will shout at you and they will break you down and they will build you back up and all that sort of stuff. I think if there's something that you get out of drama school, it's that it actually gets rid of a lot of baggage. A lot of what you think is acting is actually Mm. very, very bad acting. And in the same way, yeah, I, I think this is true. I've never thought about it like this before. But in the same way that I feel at ease with technology because it's been part of my life I, I grew up with it it was the environment and it was just what I had around the house it was my passion from that young age I think I feel comfortable in a communication role talking to the camera communicating my passion about technology or, or helping other helping somebody else to communicate um, because I feel it ease with how I am I'm not acting as somebody else if I'm anything it's a it's me on a good day it's being able yeah, yeah. i guess it's being able to summon me on a good day for the moments when I'm uh, on show or on camera or whatever if I'm being somebody else that's bad news and you know I it, it it's not truthful um and I'm not and i'm doing myself a disservice and I think that that was the revelation the reason that i i moved away from acting was that i wanted more control of my career um and i would reached a point 2009 2010 or so where you know that it's it, it's a really really tough business particularly for particularly for women because there are much fewer roles um mm-hmm. and particularly for blokes of a certain age where there's also you know a, a lot of competition but i just you know at the height of it, I would get a phone call on a Friday from my agent saying, right, Bill Kenwright wants to see you on Monday morning to play one of the brothers. It's a 12-week tour of Joseph. If you get the gig, then pack your bags because you're off on Tuesday for the next 12 weeks. Uh, oh, yeah, and you got four weeks rehearsal or three weeks rehearsal or whatever it is. And I think once I was starting to settle down and, you know, have babies and and that sort of stuff, that sort of lifestyle becomes very very difficult and i didn't want to do that anymore but at the same time i felt that by not wanting to do that i was letting myself down i was letting my agent down because at the end of the day agents make money when i'm working so i felt as though i needed to combine the two to find this middle ground and that was when this penny dropped it's amazing that now looking back it's amazing to me that it didn't drop beforehand though hang on a minute i'm very happy standing on stage talking I'm very happy standing in front of a camera talking and talking to people, whatever. But also, I think I know what I'm talking about with regards to technology. I always get shoved in front of customers for presentations and so on. Why don't I see if there's a way of bringing these these two things together? And it just worked for me. And I I, I glibly say, I learned that I much prefer saying my own lines than somebody else's. Now, that makes me sound... That makes me sound... I. I don't know, a not very nice word, no, I, I, and I don't I'd, mean it like no, no, that. I'd but I agree
1: with that. I'd agree with that. You, you're you more comfortable talking about something you're genuinely interested in, and that comes across. That I was trying to say earlier is when you are when you are speaking about technology. When I've seen you presenting, when I've seen you at events, you're genuinely interested in what you're talking about, anyway. Yeah, and you're kind of getting first-hand knowledge. You're, you're get you're the guy that's speaking to I don't know Johnny Ive about. the the technology the design or something when you're speaking to those industry specialists you you understand their language you understand what they're talking about to to direct the conversation to make us understand what's going on
0: yeah yeah um if i'm not excited about it or or passionate about it then why am i doing it again that sounds very conceited but i'm in a in a very, very fortunate position that I've been able to fuel my passions. It's been hard work. And sometimes, you know, I've been flogging a dead horse. Um, (laughs) But, you know, going back... Don't knock your microphone, David. See, waving my arms around is something I do as well. Um, Going back to that time, what I wanted to do, 2009, 2010, I wanted to present The Gadget Show. So The Gadget Show um, is a big television franchise... Um, all, all over the world, but it came out of the UK. It's probably about fifteen or sixteen years or, uh, old, or so now. And yeah. um, you know, Jason Bradbury and uh, Susie Perry. It was the cool. It was the place where cool kids learnt about tech, and I wanted to be part of that. Unfortunately, I was probably a little bit on the older side. I wasn't quite as quirky looking as either Otis John or uh, or Jason. Um, so I never got to appear on the Gadget Show. Until this week, <laughs> it's really? kind of come full circle. I'm out filming with them on on Wednesday this week over in Birmingham. Oh, so there's wow. th- there's breaking Fantastic. news. I haven't told anyone else that, but um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, I'm 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 there with with John Bentley talking about some tech, talking about privacy and security, um, and th- and that's very much in a air- very much an area that my career has gone in. You know, we we talk about technology, um, and back in 2010. I just covered technology because there was no one else really talking about tech in the way that I was at the time making it accessible for as many people as possible Um, and back then tech was still quite a niche you know if uh, if a news outlet had a technology reporter it was considered as forward-looking fast forward 10 years and technology is not a niche technology is everywhere and uh, Mm. what's happened to me over the years is that I've specialised, I guess, in in a handful of areas that, on the one hand, excite me, but on the other hand, people keep on telling me I should specialise in those areas, and I've kind of listened to them. So I've, I've, I guess, I've seen where the wind is blowing, and if people see me in that area, then you know, I guess, from from a commercial point of view, because I'm a business at the end of the day, I I have to listen to them. So um, so yeah, I I've got a. Um, an M shape. We talk about a T-shaped skills profile. You know, with with a good general knowledge, but then a good a good specialism. Yeah. I guess I probably got an M-shaped skills profile. Good general tech knowledge with a few dangly bits where I have probably got a little bit more experience than than the others.
1: <laughs> but that makes you as well. I mean, like you say, it's a career that can come and go at any time. And and with technology at the forefront of the news and everything that's mm. happening, is you the danger as well being a father with two children is you are the guy that's called at the last minute. You are the, something's just happened. Apple's just dropped this or, yep. you know, Microsoft's just dropped that. And, you know, I, I see you, uh, you know, one minute you're in the garden with, with your children. Next minute you're in India, uh, or you're in Dubai. You're, you know, you're on a plane somewhere and we, we actually bumped into each other once coming back. Yes, we airport. did. That's and right. Your family were there. Yeah. Um, so I guess the the kind of the good downside is you are the guy that they pick the phone up to, uh, because you've become that voice of authority.
0: I am the bad news tech guy. Um <laughs> you know.
1: Um, the watchdog wizard.
0: <laughs> if if something goes wrong with technology, then I'm the person who gets the phone call, you know, uh whether whatsapp's been hacked or whether you know trolling is causing misery for millions or you know there's been another data breach or ho- hoverboards are blowing up or, or whatever it is if something bad happens with technology it's almost as though it's my fault because i'm i'm on speed <laughs> dial for a number of uh, particularly tv um yeah, david why uh, is this happening <laughs> what well that's the thing they want to know why it's happening so, so let's talk about you know kind of last minute jobs in that respect um uh, breakfast tv i've done a chunk of breakfast tv particularly for good morning britain over the years and it'll generally work like this at about half past 10 11 sometimes midnight half past midnight i would get a phone call from a withheld number on my phone i know exactly who that call is coming from it's coming from the news editor or, or, or one of the shift guys uh or girls uh on on good morning britain and it's david i'm sure you know but this thing's happened firing up my computer at this point going shit what's just happened um (laughs) and they're saying yeah xyz bank has just been hacked or so on uh you couldn't come on tomorrow morning and uh, and tell our viewers about it offer them some reassurance uh tell them what's happened you know try and move the story forward for as if you can but Mm. really just be the face to explain it and the face to offer some guidance so that our viewers you know are worried or can take appropriate action so at that point first of all you know it's like okay they're sending around a car at half past four in the morning because i need to be there yeah. nice and early that was when i lived in london yeah. that's all changed now um and uh yeah i've got to try and move this story forward in you know only only a few hours while not looking as though i've had two hours worth of sleep that gets tiring after a while but boy is it a buzz Uh, and i i really enjoyed when i when i did that nowadays since i moved out of london in particular um no not not so much of that when i when i remind them you know i don't live in town anymore they go oh could you skype it in instead um but you know they prefer to have people rightly so or in the past anyway on the sofa or or at the desk rather than down the line for those kinds of stories
1: yeah, they need that technical bedside manner that you bring. <laughs> so yes, this has happened, but let me just explain. But I, I guess it must be just as frustrating as well when you get that phone call at midnight. Can you come to the studio? And you're there, and you're, and you, you know you're driven down, done all that, and you're on for two minutes. That that when I see that happen, it's like, oh man, this biggest big thing's happened. It's we've got to move David on because Deirdre from Gillingham has uh, found something in her garden that looks like elvis presley it's like such a chop and change between this big thing's happening and now we've got to go to this story but um like you say you you bring the not you bring the knowledge to the story in such a way that it, you're not sitting there going yes this is disgraceful my you know our banks are being hacked you actually explain what's happened and i i guess you you know you are it is nice that you are the reassurance of the bad news rather than the bearer of the bad news
0: i guess if there's if there's things that i can do as a as a journalist it is to first of all understand and then communicate what's happened and often there's a big there's a big bridge between those two understanding what's happened often with a breaking news story that isn't particularly clear so you need to know know what you know know what you don't know and then find a way to communicate that that's appropriate to your audience and say for for good morning Britain but the same goes for um, BBC breakfast as well you know understanding that typically um, it's it's going to be a certain demographic who you're communicating with who aren't necessarily the most tech savvy but the other thing that you do is bring context as well and that's the kind of thing that I think you know, Goes beyond just reading the news story or, or, or knowing what's happened. It's it's understanding the same thing happened three months ago um with uh, with a competitive company. It's it's being able to bring other insight into that story. And then the third thing, if there is one, is to yeah, what next? So what? What does that mean? You know, it's particularly for 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 breakfast, but or yeah, I say I say particularly for breakfast, it's people. Watching stories that matter to them, and they will want to know what they need to do as a result of it. And again, if I can bring anything, it is yeah reassurance, but also practical advice on right, go and phone up your bank right now, or, or whatever the advice may be, uh, but delivered like you say, hopefully with a bit of friendly bedside manner.
1: So, all right, you mentioned three months ago. Let's let's bring it up to date. So february march comes along 2020 you've been on tv shows you've been broadcasting you've been going to events all that stops so how does david mcclelland in 2020 now feel about you know what's how's your world changed because obviously i can see you're sat at home in a home studio you've not been able to be in a studio for a long time uh technology brands such as zoom have kind of come to the forefront uh, TikTok has exploded there's so many different things that have come out of this past three or four months how's that affected you as a tech specialist stroke broadcaster stroke parent <laughs> stroke football fan <laughs> what's what's your world like today like a recap of sort of this new world that you're living in so yeah prior to
0: lockdown prior to coronavirus I spent 5 out of 7 days away from home I would say I traveled extensively to events um I moved out of London almost exactly 2 years ago now uh, to deepest darkest farming leicestershire which 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 I love but I was still living a lot of my life in London out of out of hotels and airbnbs so i remember when things started to crumble um i was on my way to what was the last premier league football match before um before the break uh, leicester city versus aston villa
1: oh i went to arsenal west ham that? on march 23rd last the last one
0: um and it was i, I just I, that's right I'd found out that the photography show was being postponed. I wasn't that surprised. Mobile World mm. Congress, which which is a big event in the tech world that takes place every year in Barcelona, where a lot of mobile handsets and so on um, get revealed, uh, a lot of startup stuff. It's, it's a big job for me. That had also been cancelled. I just started to get the feeling that the world was crumbling beneath my feet a little bit. For the photography show... I got in touch the following day with uh, with the team with with Johnny Sullens and, and the team mm. to say, okay, so if we're not doing a photography show, is there something else that we can do in a studio? Can we um, can we create some video content? Obviously, you had a lot of exhibitors who were launching products or keen to talk about it. Can we still create some kind of content? Uh, which which we did. We created a little format called Burst Mode. But it was that night, and I think there are a couple of couple of moments that stand out it was that night It was the monday night we'd been filming all day in this little studio and it was boris's announcement of right now it's serious now it's social distancing stay at home and that was when the penny really dropped for me because over the next day's filming got cancelled that evening we we were in a hotel none of us you know the, the the future guys were either based in the midlands or based over in bath we That's were all right, staying yeah. over in a hotel knowing that the world that we would emerge into the following morning would be very very different our shoot had been cancelled lots of our work had been cancelled and it was a bizarre night uh, i'd never met any of these people before we were all pretty much strangers to each other and we were just sharing various stories i didn't sleep that night, I actually didn't sleep for quite a few nights at the beginning. Uh, I, I was very, very anxious because I didn't know what was next. Yeah, uh, I had yeah, I totally get all of my work cancelled, um, all of my trips abroad, all of all of the stuff, and the, and there was no real foothold for me. Um, and then the phone rang, and I got a I got a call from my editor at the Metro newspaper um saying right david we're all working from home now we need some emergency stuff can you create some best working from home tech rundowns all the essentials that you need and i'm like okay yeah i can own that and then i got a phone call to cover a story for bbc local radio i think it was on uh maybe it was on zoom funnily enough or, or on zoom security And then the phone basically started ringing again with little bits and bobs of work that were all to do with the coronavirus crisis. I'm like, okay, I can own this a little bit. You know, um, this is this is maybe closer to home. Maybe there is a way forward through this. Next thing was. And this was the real changer for me. Uh, We were midway through working on a series of uh, BBC show that I work on called Rip Off Britain, a daytime consumer affairs show, where I've been their technology expert reporter since 2012 now. Um, We had quite a lot of... Films still to get through. We were meant to be that uh, there was meant to be a, a camera crew coming over. We were meant to be filming somewhere else. Then things started getting a little bit sticky. So they were going to come over to my house, and then Boris said, "No, you are not to leave your house. Basically, stay home, <laughs> save lives, protect the NHS." And they said, "Right, we can't send anybody over. Can you record it on a mobile, or have you got a DSLR camera or something?" And I go, "Well, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute." No, I can do an awful lot better than this. And that was when penny drop moment again. I'm like, well, actually, I've got I've got broadcast camera here. I've got broadcast sound. I've done kind of like down the lines for for Good Morning Britain in the past. Let me see if I can build up this set. So I so I said to producer at Ripoff, say, just, just give me a sec. Let me see what I can do here. So the following day, I was doing an interview, um, nicely lit with a broadcast camera talking directly to my producer who was on an ipad mounted just by the side of the camera with a my, my talkback earpiece it was great mm. and they were so impressed they go we've never worked like this before but this has been brilliant they got in touch a couple of weeks later saying we're right we've, we've we've got some more films obviously we still can't come out to you but you know would you be happy to do some more of this for us and i'm like uh yeah of course um, and all of a sudden, it, it just seemed as though I don't need to go out. I don't need to have a camera crew come come here because we can be far more efficient. I can film at home in my kitchen, in the garden. Actually, I have actually uh, I have filmed in my garden. Actually, I come to mention it, um, and still get the same broadcast output as as we would have got were they here. And that seemed to be a revelation for them. Then I got a phone call from um, Watchdog, uh, not Watchdog. Um, wait i did get watched but i was thinking of cbb's so news round is a program that i grew up with you know john craven's oh, news john round.
1: craven yeah exactly it was the news that was it so <laughs> that and tomorrow's world
0: that that and tomorrow oh yes um so yeah, yeah news round was a daily is still a daily news show for children i uh, again i could probably get the ages wrong but between the ages of six and 11 12 13 maybe a, a bit more either side than that i grew up with it So I got a phone call from a producer saying, actually, could you record a piece for us on online safety? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And then I did another piece for them where I did an interview with my daughter, uh, my eldest daughter, Evie. Um, because she's been using zoom and house party to keep in touch with her friends she's right in the middle of the news round uh, age group and she loved that and then I started pitching them some other stories around a contact tracing app or whatever and they said oh brilliant um we're getting a bit bored of bookcases now um have you got a green screen? Well, no, actually, I said I've got a green screen and they go, perfect. Yeah, let's do it as that. So all of a sudden moving from a little camera setup with a few lights in my kitchen to having a full green screen here in my in my office downstairs. And I guess what I've done over the last few months is with kit that maybe I wasn't using as much as I could have done beforehand I fashioned together a pretty agile flexible studio that has enabled me not only to do a lot of the work that I was doing before but also to find some new clients and some new types of work that are you know I wouldn't I would not have been doing otherwise so it sounds wrong to say that this has been a positive experience for me when there's been so many negative uh, you know people have been suffering all over the world and, and continue to be as well we can make the best of the hand that we're dealt but i feel as though given the circumstances i've been able after a rocky start to turn it into a into a positive and that's where i am right now and the reason i was a little bit late logging in to chat with you this evening is because i had another last minute request for um for a quick piece of camera for a, for a project which i was able to turn around um i say pretty quickly can i have a moan for a second
1: so yeah I, go for it right the platform is the yours. platform David.
0: is yours <laughs> thank you platform is mine so you yeah, i mean i'm sure there'll be parallels with this closer to the work that you do dave but When a client says, "Can I have a 30-second piece to camera, or or a two-minute piece to camera, please?" All they see is what you deliver, which might be two takes of a two-minute piece to camera. Now, I don't live in a TV studio; I live in an office that is multi-purpose, and to set up the camera, and to set up the lights, and to set up the sound, and to set up the computer, and to record it, to set up my teleprompter, to set to then upload it afterwards towards a two-minute piece to camera into a two-hour job now clients on the other hand whoever they are uh, i'm I'm thinking less news here probably more corporate think oh hang on a minute he's doing it from home or that's really easy for him you know he's not having to travel anywhere you know um, and you know it's not going to be as good quality so you know we will either pay less or, or whatever it is No, quite the opposite i've invested i mean i've got thousands of pounds well thousands i probably spent thousands of pounds over the years Yeah, yeah (laughs) but i've got certainly hundreds of pounds worth of kit around my office here and i've spent an awfully long time learning how to use it learning how to get the best of it working out the workflows and investing in the right gear and also it takes time to set all of this up and then i've got to take it all again I've got to take it down again afterwards because I've got to do another job or I've got to sit down and do some writing tomorrow and I can't do that when I've got tripods and lights all over my desk. That's the little bit that seems to get lost. So working from home does not mean cheap because I am not only the presenter or the reporter, I'm also the studio engineer. I'm also rigging the lights. I'm also the sound recordist. I'm also the camera operator and uh, and lighting I I am everything there's an awful lot more pressure on me but you think you can get that cheaper hmm maybe we need to have another chat about that
1: yeah amen no i, I totally totally agree with that because that is the thing is it, well, it's, it's also like as a designer when somebody asks you to do something and you can turn it around in 10 or 15 minutes and they go well you did that in 10 minutes why do I need to pay for that it's like yeah but it's taken me 30 years to be able to do it in 10 minutes it's it's those years of experience that enable me to like for you to be able to know what that studio needs yeah. to know what kind of lighting to know what kind of audio to have, to get it all together I remember at the photography show you did uh it, Bizarrely, you've been at photography shows since day one, interviewing everyone. And I asked for you to be a speaker in the editing suite, and you did an excellent one about multicam with mobile multicam broadcasting. And that's kind of why I wanted to talk to you tonight because this—that's kind of come round. Mm. You are now the producer, the sound engineer, the light guy, the presenter. You, you know, you're doing—you're having to get all the research together. I mean we said off air before we started we were talking about this new normal and and I don't think you know let's split it into two there's some bad stuff happening um we're trying to make the best of of a very bad situation at the moment but on the other side this new normal um which is the phrase that everyone's taken I said has made us reevaluate what we can do what we can't do when we're given this situation when we're dealt this hand because like you say day one two three four five your world's crumbling but the alan who helps co-host the show at the moment he's an event photographer in san diego every single event he photographs is cancelled so he's trying to find he, he, he can't go and teach he was teaching as well mm-hmm. couldn't go to events so it makes you sit down and think okay i need to do something here and if you're lucky enough that you can adapt your job to a new environment, I don't think we should feel guilty that we can maybe prosper from it. Not not prosper from COVID and what's happening there, yeah. but like you say, you're getting the work. People still need the information. You've your knowledge and expertise, your years of doing this have enabled you to adapt very quickly. And that from the lot of conversations we've had with the podcast where where COVID's come along and kicked everyone's backside, I think it's really interesting to see and hear how people have reevaluated what they do and what they need to do it. Um, my comp where I work, we've voted to close the office. We've actually found we our productivity's gone through the roof hmm. working from home. We've got. I, I remember uh, when I worked for a technical company in Swindon, we had a guy from Vodafone. Do a talk and there was one thing i always remembered that really resonated was he said if you think back to maybe 10 years ago when you got a job in a building with other people the technology in your office was the the best technology you've ever seen you know all these computers linked up and you, everything in the office the big photocopiers and uh, and then when you get kind of internet connectivity everything in in your office was the most advanced you'd ever seen. Now, everything we have at home is probably better than everything you have in your workplace. Your broadband's faster, your computer's faster, you've got more devices, you've got more accessibility, you can collaborate more. We're actually better equipped now to work from home. And I think in this environment now, a lot of companies are actually seeing that they have to come up to date with technology because it's what's guiding us forward you know uh, I spoke to a guy uh, on uh, Nick Longo who's one of our interviews and we were talking about brands that have kind of come out of this situation people used to say Skype now they say Zoom Mm -hmm. you know everyone was all about Twitter and Facebook and Instagram everyone's all about TikTok it's just these things are, are, are coming out and people are adapting and finding ways to use them that when i first heard about tiktok i'm like Pfft. now I, I watch people show me how to use excel <laughs> 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 pretty sure that was that wasn't what it was originally envisaged for no but it's, <laughs> it's just funny how, yeah. how the, this new evolution has come around
0: on that thing about working from home um since we moved out of london we've been renting um and we've been trying to buy a house for what seems like a year now we were very close very close uh late last year but then the chain fell through for one reason or another but we knew that we would have to downsize before we could then upsize but mm. the house that we very nearly moved into didn't really have a spare room now we we've all been thinking how different an experience lockdown would have been had we moved away from where we live now, had we not had an office that I can you know, not at the flick of a switch, but with 45 minutes notice, turn into a green screen studio or, or whatever, because that's enabled me to, to work. And, you know, I've been working all the way through this last few months, which has been great, while the children have been in the dining room, you know, uh, doing their homeschooling or whatever. If we would have all been squeezed into one room or, or whatever, I, I just don't, I, it would have been very different. So taking that forward, With whatever this new normal looks like if working from home becomes a thing if depending upon the line of business that you're in if you need to have an extra space that you can actually call your own then i think that's going to change where people live if they don't need to be in city centers Mm -hmm. or, or in towns to the same extent if they're only going into the office one day a week why live within a commuter belt and pay twice the price for half the footprint why not move mm. further out where you can have the extra office space or studio space or wo- wherever it is so that you can work from home without falling over your kids' homework? I, I think that this could change quite a few people's um, expectations of what they need in a property where they live uh, in order to carry on working, which um, I don't. I I don't think it's a bad thing. It's certainly going to cost me more money. You know, all of a sudden, the house that we're going to be looking at now definitely, absolutely either needs to have an outside space, space for me to build a shed at the bottom of the garden or another room in the house that I can soundproof a little bit and call a studio.
1: I hadn't thought of that. I mean, I've, I've been thinking of, you know, talking about how businesses, you know, middle management are suffering. Yeah. Because you've got the people who do the work and the people who make sure the work gets done, and you've got those ones in the middle that kind of float and and micromanage. But, like you say, now why do you need to live in London? You know, if you don't need to be in an office every day, if you can move out, you've got more money, you can get a bigger house. Um, You know, when we moved, I always knew I'd need an office. And when I got the job that I'm doing now, the agreement was because of where they are in Hereford and I'm in Swindon. I couldn't go in every day, so I go in t- twice a day, work from home three days a week. I, I needed an office. Now, my eld- my youngest lad of the- of our two lads, he's 22, he's working from home on the dining table. Mm-hmm. My daughters are trying to homeschool. He's trying to, you know, do work calls. Um, th- We've got to bring the girls out of the-, the room, so they've got to go and sit upstairs. So we while we haven't got the biggest house like you say if I didn't have this office to do my job I think it would have been like cage fighting yes <laughs> it it, it, it would have been a free-for-all yeah so I, I think that's, that's a great piece of advice for for anyone listening that's now in that kind of limbo of of being able to work from home or having to be in an office is look at being self-equipped mm-hmm. Um, can you work from home what do you need to work from home because I've been I mean I've saved a fortune I've saved an absolute fortune yeah. not driving into work various associated costs to that so I've been investing that money into this office which is currently having a complete clear out at the moment um, I think we've all been clearing stuff and, out over the last few months of yeah, yeah.
0: it's a shame the tips haven't been open to uh, to oh, receive it my, my garage God. is full of stuff at the moment
1: I got my first tip appointment last Friday. I was so excited. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, I've been investing. I've got 24 hours back of commute time a month. Wow. Uh, that I was spent in the car. Now my podcast listening has dropped. Yes. Um, and, and we've seen that in the numbers of the podcast. You know, the numbers have dropped about 25%. Uh, so those habits have changed. But I got 24 hours back. And so I've been trying to use that time to improve myself, learn another skill, spend time making this environment what it needs to be because you know, i want to carry on working i'm 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 older i want to still be relevant in the industry i'm in but m- you know my trips were cancelled i would have been to america three times already this year wow i'm now doing two online conferences which is interesting to see um and obviously you and i are heavily involved in the photography show in september indeed yes which we're working on so that's coming together at the moment so I think from the from that conference point of view for 2020 at least it's been interesting to see how events have gone online and and how that's working for them and how people who don't like to travel are being able to get education from from these things that we they wouldn't have normally done.
0: I couldn't agree more um and as someone who spoke or hosted or moderated events in the past um obviously there's lots of people who you and i both know who work in the events industry very very good friends and, and companies we've worked with in the past have really suffered over the last four months whatever it is now um and i've had to adapt and moving online has certainly been one of those uh adaptations that many of them have made i don't speaking personally i don't know that the platforms are there yet. You know, I haven't mm. seen very many wow experiences that I think make the most of um that, that bring the real event experience through the computer screen. Obviously that isn't possible, but I don't know that technology's quite got there yet. Obviously things like Zoom and Skype and Microsoft Teams and, and all the rest of those video chat platforms They've been there for years, let's face it. You know, the mm. technology hasn't changed. It's, you know, us being backed into a corner and being forced to use it and trust it is what's changed. But the same isn't there, with I think, with event platforms yet. But that, that will change. You know, software developers, I'm pretty sure, will be realizing what's going on here and they'll be experimenting <laughs> and trying to create some new platforms, probably just landing when we're coming out of lockdown and starting to go to more physical events again. But they'll be there for the next time, for the second spike or whatever we're calling that stuff now
1: but in or yeah or any kind of emergency well, they're having it there yeah
0: exactly um and i think there're going to be a number of changes in the events industry you know maybe in the northern hemisphere not having events in the first quarter of the year when it's flu season is going to be one of those changes and we'll see it late. see more, many more events towards the latter end of the summer when you know there's less less spread again for us in the northern hemisphere yeah. but what i have seen from online events and you know events that i have participated in as a delegate or kind of working on the event um as a as a host or interviewer or whatever two things first of all and you, you hit the nail on the head people will you get different people attending the events, which I think is is great because it's about accessibility, um, and making making these platforms um, the, the the knowledge or well, whatever it is available to as many people as possible. So that's certainly a good thing. But we also, on the other side of the coin, get different people appearing at those events. Very often, speaking on stage, whether it's Photoshop World or Adobe Max or whatever it is, there are certain people who are very happy to stand upon the stage and and talk. Or if you're, you know, even visiting exhibitors in 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 the exhibition area or whatever, it's certain people who you're going to get on the booth demonstrating the product or or talking about it or whatever it is. But actually, the opportunity that we get when we've got a camera on someone's laptop. Um, in their home or in their office or whatever you get different spokespeople you get different experts you see them in an environment in which they probably feel more comfortable or at least able to uh, express themselves differently and I think that's really exciting so it's opened up events not only to a different audience but also we're seeing different people uh, talking at those events as well and I think that we've still got a way to go with that but I think that's potentially really Hmm. exciting
1: I think, yeah, that's I know from my personal experience, the first time I got up on stage to teach, uh, I was 50. (laughs) I I did it so late in my life. I'd spoken at a couple of weddings, like briefly, but I'd never done any public speaking. Uh, And I was kind of terrified and excited at the same time. And I have to say, it's something I've learned to enjoy. But now, the things that I've been asked to do this year so in a couple of weeks uh, July the 18th I'm doing a workshop to people in America on Saturday afternoon I I actually feel so much more comfortable because my preparation they can't see all the things Mm -hmm. that I'm looking at to help me so the bit of me on camera you know they're going to be around the world they're not in a room i've done one before when they were all in the same room and i yeah. was broadcast on a big screen i didn't realize how big the screen was until <laughs> someone pulled the camera around saw so a giant head um
0: that's quite intimidating essentially- though because there's much more of an us and them if everyone's in one room and you're being beamed in then you're kind of the odd one out but if everyone's in their own living rooms or offices or wherever then there's a sense of we're all in this together we're all kind of equal here
1: yeah, we've got your back. And yeah. that's what someone said. Don't feel scared. They, they've chosen to spend time with you. So don't feel intimidated by it. And it is quite odd seeing, especially something like, you know, the photography show is a very hands-on event. It's a very, you know, it's an expo floor. And then we put on training things around to enhance the expo rather than it being the other way mm. around. Then you've got something like Photoshop World, uh, which is a teaching. You go along and sit in classes. Well, that's going online in a couple of weeks a two-day event they've only got eight instructors but they're testing it adobe max 15 16 17, people mm. they have you know they hide out the staples center for the max bash and had vampire weekend and you know they have all these events on going online yeah wwdc the uh, big
0: apple yeah. event last week as well you know people were very interested to see how that would turn out and obviously apple did what apple does uh and, and made a real spectacle about the um visual assets for it yeah
1: yeah so it'd be interesting to see how something like max that is so big mm. uh, actually kind of, like you say it's that the experience you're used to versus this new experience that it's going to be i think some of it will work i know a lot of the stuff uh, a lot of things i've been speaking to people about will be pre-recorded yes which takes away that scary live element some of them are being live and from what i've heard you know the pre-recorded stuff is great because you can switch it on if something goes wrong you know you can flick something else on but when it's live and someone's buffering and being the robot that's when it can all be oh, switch off and go somewhere else. And the other thing as well with these events, which is a downside is like for me, I'm sat in this office from nine till five to creating training content. As much as I love people who are inviting me to zoom hangouts in the evening, I don't want to sit in this chair yeah. any longer than I have to. At the end of the day, yeah. I want to go and see my children. I want to go and sit in the living room. I want to watch frozen with them again. I don't want to be doing all these Zoom hangouts and, you know, I'm doing the podcast, which I love doing. But the, the danger also is, with everything going online, is from a health point of view, we're sat in our bums, we're sat on a chair yeah. watching. So with the mobile technology, at least you can go kind of walk and listen and, and stuff like that.
0: Speaking of chairs, that is something I have invested in. I I had I had a six-year-old John Lewis chair. Um, which was fine as long as I was only sitting on it for about six hours a week. However, six weeks in to lockdown and I'm starting to get a bad back and I'm realising, no, I need a proper chair. So I I splashed out. I took some advice uh, from the wise people of Twitter and splashed out on a Herman Miller chair. And uh, wow, it's good. I mean, proper chairs ain't cheap. That's something I've learnt, if I didn't know it already. But um, they're cheap but good value at the same time because it's made such a difference to uh, how I feel about sitting in my office and how I feel, more importantly, after I've stood up and walked around.
1: (laughs) You get up like an old man. Yeah, I was though.
0: I I wasn't sure what it was. (laughs) I I was thinking, oh, maybe I'm just sleeping a bit funnily or or maybe it's because I'm not quite as active as I was. But, you know, I was still going out for my half hour walk every day with the kids and, and so on um and yeah it was the chair and my wife came in and said david you need to replace that chair i go why it's fine you know the leather's leather is is peeling off a yeah. little bit and then she says look i don't need to get a spirit level out but just look how wonky it is and yeah it, it was tilting maybe at about 10 or 15 degrees off to the right hand side and uh, i'm going oh yeah actually that would make absolute sense as to why my back is um not feeling great, to put a polite term on it.
1: I had exactly that. Mine was listing, the rubber on the arm would come yep. off, I was scratching my arm, I was scratching the table. But yeah, it, it's now I've got the office chair, it, it, it's really important that I get this right, that I get up and walk mm. around. So f- from a, let's round it off with something that we kind of spoke about in the last interview, tech. The, the, as you said, Apple just released their... Their, their their big announcement I'll, I'll be honest with you i don't even know what happens with windows anymore but from a mac point of view how did you feel about their announcement and kind of tech at the moment um because i know everyone you just said off air you've got an ipad pro mm-hmm. people are using more devices what do you think kind of for the rest of the year what excites you about technology at the moment
0: Wow ask oh, the big questions for... Right, right at the end there, Dave. Um, so yeah. what, what what Apple announced last week at WWDC were uh, new versions of its operating system. It's 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 its big software showcase. So certainly for um, for the iPhone. I, okay, so one thing that did interest me, I, I'll tell you that much. Um, spatial audio. So somebody sent around a link a few weeks ago um, to a hairdressing at an eight D hairdressing experience it's a video on youtube it's 12 years old now something like that but it says put your headphones on have a good listen and what it is it is spatial audio it was recorded perhaps with a binaural microphone which is uh, one of these it's a head it's got two microphones that are where the where your ears are and if you close your eyes you've got uh, a complete 3d sound stage and you are basically having a haircut. I'll, I'll send you a link. It's okay. brilliant, excruciating to listen to because you you hear somebody whisper in one ear, and then you that they've got the clippers out, and oh, I always get the twinges when the clippers come out. It is incredibly realistic sound um, that uh, is great, and I'm surprised that there's not very much more of that. That that's not used more in drama or or in audio storytelling or anything like that. Anyway, Apple last week at its WWDC event it announced that it's bringing spatial audio to its AirPods its AirPods Pro. I've I've got some AirPods Pro just here. Now these little mic uh, earbuds fit inside your ear um and um you know that they're, they're fine, you know they're probably not the best audio quality out there but in terms of fitting into your Apple ecosystem they they're very good. One thing that they do have um in in partnership with the device you're listening to is an availability is an awareness of space and through gyroscopes in the devices they can tell if you move they can tell if you're moving to your left if you're moving to your right or whatever and what that means is that if you are listening to a um a sound experience if you hear something in your right and you turn right to face that just imagine you're in a virtual reality experience here as well Hmm. then typically with a pair of headphones the sound will move right with you as well so so the sound stays static compared to where your head is so if i move my head around it will always be in my right ear what Apple is bringing with uh, iOS 14 and the next version of the of the software that goes in its AirPods is spatial audio. That means by closing your eyes, you can be totally immersed in a sound scene, which isn't something that's really been done before, certainly not at a consumer affordable level. And I think that's um, really exciting because, like I say, I think it's an area of of storytelling and an area of experience that isn't used very often you know I, i love my podcasts i love my audio books as well but very often the storytelling is very plain you know it's it's read and even dramatized stuff is you know pretty 2d so I think bringing more of a 3D experience is that is, is, there's a real opportunity for creativity there that I'm excited to see. And given that Apple's chucked its might behind it, I think it might get some more mainstream consumer pickup, which hopefully means that we'll see many more uh, of these experiences, whether it's in gaming, whether it's in storytelling or whatever. But that's an area I'm quite excited in. A little bit niche, granted, but um, certainly that's one thing that, that tweaked my ear last week.
1: that's something that technology brings us like when virtual reality came out the first you know the first batch of virtual reality was very expensive it was normally at game theme parks and things where you put the big headsets on whereas now it's much more accessible that you're given that environment where you can experience things especially for children because we, we said that with our children it gives them the chance to experience things they wouldn't necessarily be able to do in real life you know, they can visit places, yeah. they can be in an environment, they can be in a jungle, they can watch wild animals walk around and hear the noise of the Amazon around them and get that opportunity to experience what they can't at the moment.
0: I think one of the challenges, you know, virtual reality, the current generation, if you think about that, 2012 or, or thereabouts onwards, Oculus Rift, Um, you know, where Yes, a guy decided these smartphones we could use those instead of like big heavy gear i think one of the reasons why they haven't taken off and my reserve about spatial audio as well um is the creation of that content so while we've all got cameras 4k cameras high-definition cameras in our pockets on our smartphones enable us to create movies. And goodness knows, you know, <laughs> you were talking about TikTok a <laughs> moment ago. We all create films. We all create content because it's really, really easy to do so. Anybody can do it and does do it. But as soon as you start talking about creating 360 video or or, or spatial audio, we don't have that kit yet yet. And I think yeah, until yeah. it becomes a bit until the content creation becomes a little bit more democratized, because let's face it, that's where the cle- that that's where the cool stuff's gonna happen. If we start seeing you and me or any anybody listening or anybody on the street just having a cool idea and then creating a three sixty video about it or creating an eight D audio soundscape about it, if they can just go and do it without having to spend thousands of pounds or go on a training course or whatever that's when all of a sudden this swell of content will mean good stuff starts to happen but I don't think with those technologies we're there yet which is one of the reasons why again sadly VR is still incredibly niche
1: yeah I remember last year at Adobe Max uh, I think it's Aero uh is it aero the the uh, virtual reality thing where you can layer and they showed a demo where you could look at a pair of trainers right through the app so you could have it on your phone you could create the content through your phone through adobe software and that 3d environment so when you've got companies like apple and adobe seeing what's coming and starting to invest in it now. You look at it and go, "Oh, hokum you know, that's never going to happen." And then a year later you find yourself using it yeah. all the time. <laughs> so you're right, the content creation is going to take time, but the, the I guess the technology being there ready for it, is people are understanding what needs to be done in the future we can plan for it. You know, podcasts, there are now a million if if not a million just shy of a million podcasts yeah and i remember buying my first apple ipod you know <laughs> and it's called a podcast because of the ipod now everyone's doing a podcast it's
0: an old school friend of mine uh, and then a guardian journalist who invented the term podcast ben hammersley oh really yes yes he oh. has that he has that accolade again it, at least he claims it um I, I, I haven't seen exactly where um where he first wrote it down, but it certainly seems to be widely attributed to him.
1: Uh, we've been on for a while. I don't want to take you any longer because I know you've got a lot of work on at the moment. But I just want to say thank you, David. It, it it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you tonight about everything. Um I I could seriously talk to you for ages and I and I miss meeting up with you. I miss seeing you because when we do get that time at the photography show, it's always a joy to see you and it's uh, and I'm so happy you are the voice of the podcast <laughs> and uh, and that we get to hear you every week um say so th- th- thanks for everything that you've done for what you're doing I hope that that this world that we continue to live in in fact as we speak I just saw flash up on the news that Leicester's gone back into lockdown I believe oh
0: no including closing of shops and school so uh the re- there's lots of reasons that's bad news. Again, you know, it, it's it, it's tragic that more people are catching it. And if that means that more people die, then obviously that's a horrible thing. Speaking purely from a selfish point of view, my hair desperately needs a cut. My hairdresser is in the cultural quarter of Leicester. <laughs> Bless her, this is going to be so uh, awful for for well, obviously for me and my hair, I can I can live. Yeah. But you know, for her and her business, it's going to be so so difficult. But um, but there we go. We are we are where we are. We don't. While we feel as though we're coming out of this crisis in some way, um, you know, obviously it's going to take an awfully long time, an awful long time for us to shake ourselves of it fully. So yeah, Lester which is 3 miles down the road from me at the moment uh, in lockdown brilliant
1: <laughs> i know it's i think it's the difference between coming out of it and getting used to it and and that's that's how we've looked at it and, mm-hmm. and i know we spoke briefly off air about some of that the, the covid side but i think whatever the rest of 2020 brings us um i just hope for everyone's sake everyone listening you know just use common sense if if you don't need to be anywhere don't go anywhere yeah just stay safe watch david's content go and find some great little tips and tricks and things to do and things you know if there's anything bad news watch out it'll be on the on the virtual couch (laughs) in in the morning oh yes (laughs) but uh thank you for your time david it's been a pleasure having you on again and uh, i hope to see you soon
0: cheers dave speak to you soon